Welcome back to Prepper Dave's On the Road to Dystopia, your alternative news and information podcast. Before we get started, remember to check us out on our website, our Facebook page, and sign up for our newsletter. All the links are in the description below. Also, as always, the content provided here is for informational purposes only and does not constitute medical, financial, legal, or professional advice. We recommend consulting a qualified professional before taking any actions on any content related to this podcast or any links provided. Alright, we have a lot to cover today, so let's get started. In the shadow of a crumbling society, whispers circulate that President Donald Trump is negotiating his surrender to the Manhattan DA, shrouding the future of our democratic republic in uncertainty. As the U.S. banking system trembles, Moody's ominous downgrade hints at an impending financial storm. The relentless march towards a cashless dystopia gains traction with Federal Reserve's real-time payment service, only to be marred by the chilling specter of the Great Reset Scam, the Silicon Valley Bank and Accidental Banking System Failure. That's in quotes. With every rise in interest rates, the siren song of a cashless world grows stronger as hopes fade to black. A staggering 66 million Americans seek solace in the prospect of a national divorce. While a full-scale war wages against morality, normality, and rationality, consuming our sanity piece by piece. The Hal Turner Radio Show enshrouds our listeners, you and me, by listing the top 100 scarce items in a landscape of conflict and despair. And as the last vestiges of personal security crumble under the Biden's executive order that menacingly targets the heart of American gun ownership. The end of the world as we know it looms on the horizon, imminently beckoning the end. And so, in this bleak apocalyptic world, we remain. Alright guys, we have a lot to get go over today, and so I think we should get started. Coming straight out of the Sputnik News. This is right off, hot off the presses. Why Trump's indictment and conviction can't axe his 2024 bid, but may enhance his election odds. This, like I said, comes out of Sputnik International. U.S. conservatives see the former U.S. President Donald Trump possible arrest as a further reinvigorating his base ahead of the 2024 elections. On March 18th, Donald Trump signaled that he expects to be arrested on Tuesday in connection with an ongoing investigation by Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg concerning the Trump's allegation, alleged 2016 payments of $130,000 in hush money to adult movie star Stormy Daniels via his former personal attorney, Michael Cohen. We all know Michael Cohen, and we all know what he was convicted of. The DA's inquiry into the hush money case was earlier condemned by former president as a partisan witch hunt. Having warned about the possible arrest, Trump called on his supporters on Saturday to protest, take our nation back, unquote. U.S. conservatives believe Trump's arrest may further energize his supporters. If this happens, Trump will be elected, re-elected, in a landslide victory, Tesla CEO and Twitter owner Elon Musk tweeted, tweeted on Saturday. If the Manhattan DA indicts President Trump, he will ultimately win even bigger than he is already going to win, echoed Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene. In a lengthy statement, House GOP conference chair also stated that the potential development is likely to bolster the America First movement. <clears throat> what these corrupt leftist prosecutors like Alvin Bragg and their socialist allies fail to understand is that America First patriots have never been so energized to exercise their constitutional rights to peacefully organize and vote at the ballot box to save our great republic. Adding that the apparent intent to arrest Trump is a continuation of the disgraceful and unconstitutional pattern going back to the illegal Russian collusion hoax. GOP House Speaker Kevin McCarthy 
immediately reacted to Trump's statement by announcing that he has directed House committees to probe whether federal funds are being used for politically motivated prosecutions. Let me repeat that. GOP House Speaker Kevin McCarthy immediately reacted, reacted to Trump's statement by announcing that he has directed House committees to probe whether federal funds are being used for politically motivated prosecutions. Here we go again, and an outraged abuse of power by a radical DA who lets violent criminals walk as he pursues political vengeance against President Trump. That's what McCarthy tweeted. Now, what does the U.S. Constitution say about indicted and convicted presidential candidates? Trump can't be barred from running for re-election even if he's indicted and marched into prison unless he strikes a plea deal that includes forswearing public office. Per constitutional experts, the U.S. Supreme Court earlier ruled that Congress cannot add qualifications to the office of the president. What's more, a state, a state cannot ban an indicted or convicted individual from running for federal office. This means that neither the U.S. Congress nor New York state authorities can prevent Trump from proceeding with his 2024 bid over this hush money trumped-up case. The U.S. mainstream press has admitted that an indictment or even conviction of the former president wouldn't dishearten his base. <coughs> Excuse me. Quite the contrary. It could give him additional political points. The media has drawn attention to the fact that Trump benefited from both his congressional impeachment among MAGA Republicans. Meanwhile, legal experts argue that Trump's case is based at at most, on shaky legal and ethical grounds. While the exact charges in the hush money case have not been announced, legal scholars allege that the DA's indictment would cite falsifying business records under New York Section 175 in relation to payments to his former attorney, Michael Cohen. Cohen served jail... After pleading guilty to using campaign finances in relation to Daniels, the DA's potential charge could be based on Trump's labeling his reimbursement of Cohen as a quote-unquote legal expense, as prosecutors argue that it actually was not. The payments were made to a lawyer, not Stormy Daniels, Trump's attorney Joe uh, Tacopina argued last week, talking to the U.S. broadcasters. The payments were made to Donald Trump's lawyer, which would be considered legal fees. Michael Cohen was his lawyer at the time and advised him that his that this was the proper way to do this to protect himself and his family from embarrassment. It's as simple as that. However, prosecutors could say that the money Trump paid to Cohen went to Stormy Daniels and was therefore not a legal fee. Thus, by qualifying it as a legal fee in its books, Trump's organization could have falsified business records. There are also speculations that the DA could convert the case, which is currently considered a misdemeanor, not even a felony. But they could try to consider this misdemeanor into and reclassify it into a Class E felony. If he can prove that the former president's alleged intent to defraud involved further criminal intent to either hide the commission of another crime or to assist the commission of that other crime. Well, it does appear that, if nothing else, they are taking, trying to take Trump out of the game, trying to destroy his message and trying to tie him up in court so that he can't get out on the campaign trail and to draw down his war chest. Anyway, exclusive InfoWars confirms Trump is in talks with the NYC prosecutor to turn himself in next week. At the end of the day, Alex Jones has broken down the sources close as has broke down how sources close to former President Donald Trump confirmed to him that the 45th president is in talks with law enforcement officials to prepare for an indictment and arrest as early as Tuesday.
Quote, I made phone calls and talked to people very close to Trump and have confirmed they've been contacted by the Manhattan DA, a Soros-funded, open New World Order globalist, and that they are intending as early as Tuesday to issue the indictment and arrest warrant for President Donald Trump, Jones said. He will then travel as early as Tuesday, probably Wednesday or Thursday, to Manhattan with the Secret Service to be placed in handcuffs and maybe even put in jail. This has never happened in a 240-plus year history of the United States for good reason. Yeah, it's a, we are living in unprecedented times, people. With Donald Trump, J6, the banking collapse, you name it, we are headed for an orchestrated collapse of the Democratic Republic, formerly known as the United States of America. They want to destroy democracy in the form of a Democratic Republic and rebuild it as a new one world order with regional areas. Manhattan DA Bragg's email, he emailed his employees in anticipation of this Trump red, and this is Trump arrest, and this is by Red State. This is where they're throwing red meat out to their, to their base inside the prosecution's office. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, who's reportedly planning to prosecute Donald Trump over a misdemeanor hush payment to Stormy Daniels made in 2016 sent an email to his employees Saturday afternoon outlining his plans to protect them from any physical threats arise from the arrest and laughably claims that his office listen to this, applies the law evenly and fairly and that they speak publicly only when appropriate. Huh. Evenly and fairly and they only speak publicly when appropriate? I don't know what their definitions of appropriate is, and I don't know what their definition of evenly and fairly is, but I can tell you, coming from this side, it does not appear to be either. Considering the number of charges he's dropped and the percentages of felony cases he's reduced to a misdemeanor, it's crystal clear that only people whose safety he cares about are the people in his office. And given the overall state of the city, whose words ring hollow... According to the email obtained by independent journalist Brennan Morello, Bragg wrote, in part, this is just in part, please know that your safety is our top priority. We have full confidence in our outstanding security staff and investigators, along with our great OCA and NYPD colleagues, and will continue to coordinate with them all. We do not tolerate attempts to intimidate our officers or threaten the rule of law in New York. Our law enforcement partners will ensure that any specific or credible threats against the office will be fully investigated and that the proper safeguards are in place so all 1,600 of us have a secure work environment. That's a really large office. The office is full of the finest public servants in the country. I am committed to maintaining a safe work environment where everyone is able to continue to serve the public with the same diligence and professionalism that make this institution so renowned. In the meantime, as with all of our investigations, we will continue <laughs> to apply the law evenly and fairly and speak publicly only when appropriate. Yeah, come on. Anybody who lives in NYC knows that this is a joke. Whether you're on the Republican side, Democrat side, right side, left side, upside, downside, white side, black side, male side, female side, you name the side, we all know that this, for one, at, at minimum is disingenuous. And at two, at maximum, is just a complete lie and fabrication. Just like the Trump charges. What's threatening the rule of law in New York is Bragg himself and his politically motivated and largely extremely questionable planned prosecution of Donald Trump. And it's just the latest example. 
even in fair application of law, my foot. That's how. I mean, I, do you think that's how they really see it? That this is equal and fair and due pro equal application of the law, due process being followed, the the same as with the J six defendants, our political prisoners. According to Zero Hedge, take our nation back. Trump calls for protests as imminent arrest is expected. Washington Post reports that Trump spokesman <coughs> Stephen Chung said Saturday morning that there have been no notification of an indictment and said Trump supporters would should attend a rally he is holding next week in Texas for his 2024 re-election. Susan Eccles, a lawyer for Trump, said, Since this is a political prosecution, the district attorney's office has engaged in a practice of leaking everything to the press rather than communications with the, pres with the president and with the president's attorneys, as would be done in a normal case. Some sources familiar with the planning said that they will go over security preparations in and around the courthouse in Lower Manhattan. Secret Service will take the lead in what they will allow and what they will not allow. The source cautioned, mentioning, for instance, that the decision to handcuff the president, the former president, or not, they say will set the tone and will escort him into the courtroom. If Trump is charged with felony falsification of business records, he would be forced to surrender to New York authorities and make an appearance in a Manhattan courthouse. And if Trump is charged next week, he might as well kick off his presidential campaign, and it would be a hell of a way to start. Like the FBI raid, Trump is sure to capitalize on any charges coming out of Manhattan to fortify the narrative of his 2024 presidential campaign. It is also possible that this PR campaign is underway to divert attention of the American public from the banking failures and the Biden family. In the end, their hubris could lead to the establishment's demise as the Democratic Party struggles to put forward a worthy opponent in 2024. Oh, my goodness. I don't know. Where do we stand? I mean, we have our former president of the United States being held on potentially trumped-up charges that have passed their date of expiration in order to make a public spectacle of him and of the country, and to may possibly cover for the failures of this administration and of the world, one world order government that's being implemented as we speak. The World Economic Forum has been pushing for central bank digital currencies. We are exploding our debt are exploding inf inflation rates and exploding interest rates, and we won't be able to pay off the debt. We keep raising the debt ceiling. It's an orchestrated collapse of the system and of the Democratic Republic, like I said, which we call the United States of America. And Moody, Moody demotes the U.S. banking system to negative rating citing. Rapidly deteriorating operating environment. Let me re repeat that. Moody's demonstrates or de demonstrates and demotes U.S. banking system to negative, a negative rating, citing rapidly deteriorating operating environment. This is according to National News. Prior to the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, Moody's Investors Service rated the United States banking system as stable. Since that time, Moody's has downgraded American banks to negative status, citing a rapidly deteriorating operating environment. Despite regulars' best efforts to shore up the industry, to quote CNBC's Jeff Cox, America's financial foundation is crumbling. 
This came, that came from CNBC, which is no surprise seeing as how it was always a Ponzi scheme house of cards built on deception <coughs> and bad faith. Yeah, we all knew it was a fiat currency, and this may be it. One of the big three rating services, Moody's is setting the stage for the final and inevitable collapse of the America's banking sector. One might even say that the banking sector has already collapsed, even though the powers that be are all still hiding from the wreckage of from public view as much as possible. Will it take months? Will it take weeks or just days for the U.S. banking sector to collapse? There are likely many more banks with massive, massive unrealized losses that are also known on the hook, are also on the hook since they purchased treasury bonds, T-bills, and other government debt when interest rates were near zero. Since that time, the Federal Reserve, Reserve's Jerome Powell has progressively hiked rates, interest rates, sending the value of these banks' bonds into a downward tailspin. And it's not just the banks, it's anybody who holds treasury notes. <coughs> banks with substantial unrealized securities, losses with non-retail and uninsured U.S. depositors may still be more sensitive to depositor competition or ultimate flight with adverse effects on funding, liquidity, earnings, and capital. Moody's report further warns. You can be sure that at some point the Ponzi scheme will unravel for the world to see. They can only keep the ruse going for just so long before the entire thing unwinds. But in the meantime, this bizarro world circus will continue. Biden may not know yet, but he has designated the fall guy for the bankers. Whether he knows it now or doesn't know it later, he may never know. One natural news commentator suggests the Federal Reserve has been shorting the U.S. economy since its inception in 1913. The Federal Reserve has enlightened and engineered one catastrophe after another, the Federal Reserve should have been shut down a hundred years ago. What will America look like a year from now? Or ten years from now? Will it be in America? And what will it look like? Do you believe that this banking failure was by accident? Or do you believe that this banking failure and this systemic collapse that we are now facing is orchestrated. Well, according to King World News, accidental banking system failure? Ah, don't believe it. Gregory Montanaro, writing for the Trends Journal, the oversight collapse of SVB to Silicon Valley Bank has certainly got everyone's attention. But is this really any surprise at all? Absolutely not. The collapse of SVB is just a symptom of the current worldwide economic freefall being deliberately fostered by central banks. If you are at all familiar with any of the, his work or have paid attention to many articles that he has written for the Trends Journal, then you are already keenly aware that right now, today, the entire financial system is breaking down, collapsing. And this is not an accident. We are early in the early stages of a deliberate systemic failure. I've been saying, I don't know, a couple of years now that there is an intentional collapse, not just of the banking system, but our, our country as a whole. Whether it has to do with the immigration and the banking system, um, the woke politics that have come on scene, the infiltration of global entities into organizations such as BLM, Antifa, and what and have, they have become tools, tools of the World Economic Forum. <sighs> 
man, I'll tell you, we today we're in a world economy is in an accelerating freefall, and then we are teetering on a knife's edge, being deliberately pushed off the financial cliff by central banks who are collectively attempting to crush the existing system only to issue in a whole new system. It's kind of like being in basic training where they break you down only to build you up into a new person. In truth, it's not the banks who are in trouble, but as always, it's we the people. And where the banking where are the banking regulators in all of this? Did they not see this coming? Or is it possible the regulars did see it coming? And are they just turning a blind eye? Remember this. In the current environment, nothing is what it seems. Why would banking regulars just allow an oversight collapse of the SVB, the 16th largest bank by assets in the U.S.? And are we likely to see more regional and smaller banks fail? Well, let's ask another question. Why didn't a single larger bank step in and bail out the SVB? Well, the here's what it says. The collapse of the SVB, and there will be others, creates a fire sale opportunity for the major banks. It's a consolidation. Not a single major bank stepped in to save SVB because now this collapse presents them with a major opportunity to now be able to acquire assets from this collapse for next to nothing. They will be paying pennies on the dollar. Moreover, the big banks by design will now become even larger as more regional banks collapse and they occur allowing for more fire sales. It's the author's opinion that we are about to see a consolidation, that's my opinion too, a consolidation of the entire banking system. We're going to see this accelerate. We're going to see with more power, more assets concentrated in the Wall Street superbanks. And any contagion, and you've heard that word contagion recently, I'm sure, regarding regional or smaller bank failures will, of course, allow the four, it's going to allow for the too big, too fail institutions to get what? get larger and larger and larger and be bigger and bigger and bigger and we will not allow them to fail and who does that hurt it hurts you it hurts me it hurts all of the people do you really believe that any of this is by accident and no one has seen this coming is this an accident i think not And if you don't think that it's about central bank digital currencies or another Fed system, according to BlockWorks, the Fed says real-time payment service to launch in July. I don't know. Is this a precursor to um, central bank digital currencies? The U.S. Central Bank has announced its instant payment system is to go live in less than four months giving citizens a new prompt settlement and clearing service for their transactions under the guise of easier banking. The Fed announced Wednesday that the service will kick off the formal certification process for participants in the first week of April, which will be followed by a trial program in order to get ready for sending live transactions through the system. Operations will begin in July. They couldn't be more excited about the forthcoming FedNow launch, which will enable every participating financial institution, the smallest to the largest, and from all the corners of the country, to offer a modern instant payment solution. This is according to Ken Montgomery, a FedNow program exec and chief operating officer at the Federal Reserve Bank of Boston. Garber Gerbachs, the Director of Digital Asset Strategy, said the timing of this service was suspicious considering multiple U.S. bank failures. And listen to this. This may be the first leg into 
CBDC rails reset. Let me repeat that. This may be the first leg into central bank digital currencies, he said. And that's according to uh, the Director of Digital Assets. The U.S. Treasury is currently considering the consequences of issuing a CBDC, while lawmakers are still divided on the matter. But even as policy deliberations drag on, Treasury officials are designing the technology that would be needed for the CBDC, the central bank digital currency, in case it is determined that it should be used. They are putting a lot of time and effort, a lot of resources being put into the CBDC. Just in time for the country's economic collapse. The service will launch with a solid set of clearing and sediment functionality, and other features will be added in the future as the network expands. Tom Barkin, a FedNow program executive sponsor, said the Fed is creating a leading-edge payment system that is, sounds like Joe Biden, that's resilient, adaptive, and accessible. So they're going to use the banking crisis to say, hey, this is a resilient system. And we can adapt to changes in the economic situations. And now it's going to be much more acceptable, accessible to people, to everyday people that now are what they consider to be unbanked. Oh, man. <coughs> now, I think that if you're listening to this, you probably agree that the WEF ins- is, is leading the charge on the CBDC along with the Bank of International Settlements. But according to NewsPunch, WEF, the World Economic Forum's insider, admits Silicon Valley Bank crash is a great reset scam. A great reset scam. A World Economic Forum insider has been caught boasting that the Silicon Valley Bank crash was an orchestrated plot That went to plan perfectly, and the crash will have a domino effect on the banking industry, leading to a global financial meltdown. Let me read read that whole paragraph. A World Economic Forum insider has been caught boasting that the Silicon Valley Bank crash was an orchestrated plot that went to plan perfectly. And the crash will have a domino effect on the banking industry, leading to a global financial meltdown. Anyone who thinks the SV bank collapse was a coincidence has not been paying attention to the details. The hidden hands at work here have left their fingerprints all over this one. And when it comes to this amount of money, there is no coincidence. Do you know where Executive Joseph Gentile worked before he was at the Silicon Valley Bank? He was a chief financial officer at Lehman Brothers, which was the largest bank crash in U.S. history. Yeah, that's one hell of a coincidence, but guess what? It even gets worse. Where do you think he worked before the Lehman Brothers? Do you remember a company named Enron? Enron was an energy company based in Houston, Texas, and a Wall Street darling in the 1990s. Do you remember Enron getting shut down in late 2001? Enron was the biggest bankruptcy in U.S. history and the biggest audit failure. The founder and CEO were sentenced to 24 years in prison. It just so happens that... Joseph Gentile was at the helm of all three companies before they went to the wall. And unlike his colleagues, he has never faced justice. 
This means the mainstream media wants you to believe that this was just a coincidence. But let me ask you people, do you believe in these coincidences? Mainstream Twitter users are joking that Joseph Gentile is just really bad at his job. But those folks don't get it. There are no coincidences. And Gentile is really good at his job. He and others like him are doing the bidding of the global elite. And they are being richly awarded. Repeatedly while ordinary people like you and I are being robbed blind. What we're seeing is a push toward a global government that is being camouflaged and cloaked. And here we go. And I agree. Human human humanitarianism, multiculturalism, as well as manufactured threats such as a global warming and pandemics in order to condition the populace into accepting globalization and a one world government. This is all part of conditioning people. In order for this to occur, the elite are planning to create a global financial crisis the likes of which the world has never seen before. Out of the ashes of this financial crisis will rise the phoenix of the new international economic order. The public will be told that the new order is the only way to stabilize the world economy and save what little remains of their wealth. Let me repeat that. The public will be told that the new order is the only way to stabilize the world economy and save what little remains of their wealth. And if we've learned anything from the manufactured crisis, that was the people often ask why the globalist elite would collapse the world economy. Wouldn't that mean that they will destroy their own wealth in the process? The answer is no. The elite have been consolidating their wealth in order to protect it for centuries. The process of consolidation has accelerated dramatically in recent years with the global financial crisis in 2008 and the COVID pandemic allowing the elite to get richer while the rest of us are made poorer. When the world financial system finally crashes, the elite will be positioned to buy what's left for pennies on the dollar. Where does this leave the rest of the world financially? The answer is in bondage to the techno-communist world governmental system led by the World Economic Forum in Davos and the hidden hands that control the public face of that cabal. If you pay attention now, you can see that everything around you is being engineered towards this one goal. Over the past century, nation-states have been forced into massive debt by central banks to ensure that once this collapse begins, it will create a domino effect around the world. We're currently seeing the shift towards a cashless society through the help of the blockchain technology that will facilitate a new reserve currency. Yes, people, a new reserve currency under the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, and the World Bank known as the Special Drawing Right. The globalist elite are also forming their vassal states to form and move towards centralizing currency in the form of a so-called central bank digital currency, or the CBDC, which, by the way, is not, not a currency at all. It is software designed as a tool of total societal control. It's easy to see why CBDC appeals to the far-left authoritarians in Davos. If they can cancel out your bank balance with a single keystroke, then you have no freedom, no autonomy. You are a slave to the system and completely beholden to the elite. 
and the elite are becoming so arrogant that even that they are even admitting their plans. And the fact is, is a total societal control. That's what this is about, total societal control. And in case you think it's this is just a wild conspiracy theory, and it could never happen here, you should be aware that the elite are quietly and deceitfully making moves to centralize the currency right now in the United States without public discussion. Governor Christy Noem of South Dakota caught them trying to change the definition of currency by burying it in fine print of a hundred-page bill. It's a small bill, but they tried to bury it. As the world economy begins to collapse and nation-states begin printing trillions to try and keep their economies afloat, hyperinflation will take over. This, in turn, will force nations to turn to the World Bank for help, which will offer the SDR in return for control over these failing economies. The same way the Federal Reserve controls inflation and deflation through interest rates and, by extension, the U.S. economy, so, too, will the IMF and World Bank control and gain control over the world economy one crisis at a time. Exacerbated by trade wars and currency wars, the exploding debt crisis will see personal savings, yours and mine, personal savings evaporate overnight. If the globalist elite are trying to carry out their plans with in the next few years, most people will have lost their life savings. They will own nothing and they will be forced to pretend to be happy. Because the elite will have total control over whatever paltry funds the public have been allocated by the techno-communist elite. Most of the world's institutions were created with this goal in mind. From the United Nations to the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, to institute, to institutes like the Cato, the Balfour, and the Brookings Institutes. People, I know it sounds like conspiracy theory stuff, and I know it sounds like the end of the world, which, well, in all honesty, kind of is. But they are telling us in their own words that's what they're doing. That's why I've included here today from the World Economic Forum. This is from the in, uh, World Economic Forum themselves. This is a article that came out. This is just in part, and you guys can go back and read it. Interest rates, now, because you know we have uh, escalating interest rates here, plus all the failures. Interest rates could fuel the shift to a cashless world. Here's how. By the World Economic Forum. They talk about how Sweden, Brazil, and China are among a handful of countries seeing increasingly cashless society with a digitalized digitalization of money. Analysis <clears throat> suggests a general correlation between high interest rates and less cash in circulation. Central bank digital currencies is inevitable with 90% of the central banks developing one and the percentage of the countries developing or piloting a CBDC having doubled in one year. The question is no longer, and this is by the, remember, this is by the World Economic Forum themselves, the question is no longer if digital cash will arrive, but when and how. It's not even a question of when anymore. It's when and how. Today, 90% of the central banks are developing a central bank digital currency, CBDC, and 62% are experiencing experimenting at the proof-of-concept stage. 90% of central banks are developing a central bank digital currency, and 62% are experiencing are experimenting at the proof-of-concept stage. Interestingly, 
76% of nations working on retail CBDCs are exploring interoperability with existing payment systems. We just talked about payment systems a few minutes ago. This move would encourage the coexistence of central banks and commercial bank money and speed up the widespread adoption of the CBDCs. Central banks in nations represent one-fifth right now of the world's population and will likely issue general-purpose CDBCs in the next two years. Now, they admit that they're taking a long view on this because they admit that despite the trend toward this cashless society and the CBDCs, the end of cash is still far away for insight. It's insight, but it's still far away and will still be used as a store of some value and means of payment for some time. So they admit that, hey, look, we know we can't implement it all right now, but we're working on it. We got 90% of the central banks working on this. So this is not conspiracy theory stuff. This is straight out of the mouth of the World Economic Forum. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, there's a lot of people pushing for, well, 60, 66 million people at least agree that the nas a national divorce is needed. Yeah, that's right. 66 million people agree that national divorce is needed, making the conservative case for a separation of blue and red states. This is by all news pipeline. When thinking of a national divorce, I know it's scary, right? It sounds scary when you say that. The first thought is secession. And in fact, it is the first thing the media associates with calls to separate red states from blue states. As highlighted by an article over the Daily Mail discussing how 66 million Americans agree with the idea by Marjorie Taylor Greene regarding a national divorce. The Daily Mail states, secessionist movements are alive and well in Texas and eastern Oregon. Yeah, you don't think of Oregon as that kind of a place, but if it can happen in Oregon, it can happen everywhere. Well, technically, secession is possible. The bar is so high, it isn't likely to, likely as the movement would need approval of both houses of Congress and then obtaining ratification by three-fourths of the nation's legislatures. That's according to findlaw.com. I think it's .com. Since a quarter of the GOP voters are keen on the idea and 16% of the Democrats favor the idea, the t chances of getting both houses of Congress and three-fourths of the country's legislat legislatures to agree on it, or anything else for that matter, is highly unlikely. That's on secession. But with that said, there may be a more feasible plan. The Greater Idaho Movement could be the blueprint that we need. As pointed out, secession is unlikely given the hoops that have to be jumped through, but the Greater Idaho Movement may end up being the blueprint to success. Rather than a state wanting to secede from the Union and become separate, although many want, want that to happen, this movement proposes moving state lines, which has been done previously. State lines have been relocated many times in American history because it just takes an interstate compact between two state legislatures and approval of Congress. This proposal is different from creating a new state because it does not affect the balance of power in the U.S. Senate. This means that a mere more likely to be approved by the Oregon legislature. And maybe by the Congress. The bottom line is, though, folks, the issue will be getting liberally run states to agree to changing state lines and giving up territory. But with tensions continuing to rise exponentially, as well as conflicting ideologies about guns, illegal immigration, abortion, taxes, government, and a whole host of other issues, that may not be an issue for too much longer. Because there's more and more Democrats and more and more Republicans coming 
to this idea of not necessarily secession, but of a national divorce. And you know what? It's not really just in the United States that's fighting these morality wars. According to Harbinger's Daily, the war on morality, normality, and rationality, like most of Western nations, Australia is going through a period where there is a lack of leadership in the conservative space. Now, personally, I don't really hold up... Um, Australia is a free nation. I mean, ever since the confiscation of all firearms and the destruction of those firearms. This is a real problem because as time goes on, we are witnessing the progressive agenda permeate throughout our societies without any real opposition from conservative political parties. Unfortunately for our children, the biggest battleground is in our schools. Yeah, we're letting we're letting the other side, the devil side, the evil side, dictate not freedom, not freedom of expression for everyone, but dictate a, a narrative that they want to implement. And a narrative is to pit classes of people against one another, segments of populations against one another in a continuing fight, a divisional fight. In the past, our education system prioritized learning. Now it prioritizes diversity, equity, and inclusion. Or, reworded, diversity, inclusion, and equity, which is the DIE program without any thought for the fact that those kids who refuse to affirm those principles are now excluded from the social fabric of our school communities just because they share an opposing view. Perfectly reasonable religious and moral differences are being framed as discriminatory and intolerant and a new vocabulary is being introduced, which is categorizing people as either allies or enemies. Yeah, I've used it as well. And my enemies are those who are against freedom. Freedom for everyone. Freedom of expression. The constitutional... Our constitutional principles of... Well, primarily, the First Amendment, Second Amendment, Fourth Amendment, Fifth Amendment, and so on. But if we can't freely express ourselves without repercussion from the government or other corporate government entities, we no longer have a working constitution. Then where do we go from here? We go into a commu-fascist state authoritarian state. As one Victorian politician who was a former teacher said, I discovered that school policies and curriculums had been radically altered to remove almost every child safeguarding standard that they had. Primary school children were being subjected to erotic sexual content, the sexualization of our children. Female students no longer had the right to single-sex sports teams, toilets, or even changing rooms. Teachers, like her, were being forced to secretly lie to parents about their children who were secretly living one gender at school and another gender at home. She realized then that her teaching career was over because she simply wouldn't ever do the things being asked and would never ask the class which sexual experience they'd had and which they were willing to do. Can you imagine asking elementary school students their sexual prowess? They shouldn't even know that word. I would never tell girls to bind their breasts. I would never accuse gay students of being transphobic. I would never tell my female students they had to tolerate a male teaching supervising their changing room. And I was never, ever going to lie to parents about what was going on 
and their own children at school. But I also knew that if I spoke out, I was going to be vilified, and I would never be able to work in a public school again. And that is exactly what happened. So throughout the world, ruling atheist governments are using the school system to indoctrinate a new generation of children to rebel against their parents and against God. Boy, this sounds like a Barack Obama thing. He is a tool of this global governance. He's a tool. He's a, he, I mean, he's really good at his job of pitting people against one another. One Christian parent said in China, or one Christian parent in China said this, Before starting school, I told my child about God's creation, and he believed it. But after being taught in school, my child is like a different person. In this atheist China, these pure and innocent children have been taught to hate God. As one poster in China read, Be grateful to the party. Obey and follow the party. Wow, does that not sound familiar to what's happening here in the United States? Be grateful to the party. Obey and follow the party. We have a uniparty. Yes, within a within the confines, within the lines, you have Republicans and Democrats that are well, they can fight it amongst themselves, but they can't get outside those lines. Get heaven forbid. The people who actually pay them. How else do you, how else do you think that these people become? Multi, 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 multi millionaires on the salaries of a congressman. Come on. Think about it. They just all of a sudden are great financial wizards, right? As soon as they soon as they become a congressional person. Well, I'll tell you what, folks. Hal Turner. His, uh, he has a list, and I'll, I'll link to it. It's going to be linked. Um, on 100 items you need, and those items that disappear first during war. Now, I spent, you know, five years between Iraq and Afghanistan, but you know what? I was on the American side, not on the other side, not the person having to live there. So, you know, I didn't see it like that. Although I spent a lot of time in the rural areas in Afghanistan. Well, this list was made by a person who survived the Bosnian War. It shows a hundred items that disappeared first in war. As Americans decide whether or not the government of the state of New York should be allowed to continue to exist over the pending Trump arrest, perhaps this list may come in handy if a civil war erupts. It was written by Survivor of War. They shared it with the world, and now Hal Turner is sharing it with you. And I'll just go over a few items here. Generators. Good ones will cost dearly. You have a gas storage issue, maybe. They're risky, noisy, a target of thieves. And then you have maintenance, etc. Water filters, purifiers, portable toilets, seasoned firewood. Yeah. That's a big one. I, I thought about that a lot of this winter myself. Lamp oil, wicks lamps, Coleman fuel. Because it's hard to stockpile some of the stuff because it's, uh, com you know, highly combustible. Guns, ammo, pepper spray, knives, clubs, bats, and slingshots. So, guns and ammo, pepper spray, knives. Those are things you can buy now. Well, before it's too late. Hand can openers, we have a couple of them, and hand egg beaters and whisks, honey, syrups, white brown sugar. Well, this year we're doing bees. My son does bees and his father-in-law does bees. So. Rice, beans, and wheat, it does mention that. We have some of those. Vegetable oil, yep, uh, talked to somebody about that this week. Charcoal, lighter fluid, mm. Will become scarce suddenly, probably so, like toilet paper. Water containers, yeah. Small, hand clear plastic only, note food grade if for drinking. Mini heater heads, 
propane without this item propane won't heat a room yeah we have some portable ha uh, heaters uh, propane grain grinder non-electric yeah see that's kind of a key thing for me I guess propane cylinders <clears throat> yeah you'll definitely need those I you know I would suggest having five or ten at least survival guidebook yep so most of these are pretty good I you know I agree with most most of these I don't know if they're in order mantles yeah you need those if you're going to have um if you're gonna have lanterns like that I have a different way that we're doing power we do it during our power outages we use um, batteries and inverters um, hooked up to lamps etc fans baby supplies diapers formulas ointments aspirin oh absolutely Washboards, uh, washboards, yep. Mop buckets with a ringer, cook stoves, vitamins, propane cylinder, handle holder. Yeah, okay. Uh, feminine hygiene, hair care, and skin products, and thermal underwear, and the list goes on and on. So anyway, I'll link to that list, and you can look at it, and um, maybe use that as your basis for your checklist, your preppers checklist. Okay, Biden's executive order targeting gun ownership. So we just talked about guns and ammo. We know that they're trying to, you well, know, trying to collapse the first, uh, the Constitution as a whole, but primarily the First and Second Amendment. And we've already discussed the First Amendment. Now we're going on to the Second. On Tuesday, Joe Biden issued an executive order on gun control that could accurately be described as a mile wide and an inch deep. Media and gun control groups that beforehand had been salivating over the idea that the measure would impose universal background checks for firearm transfers had to contend themselves with a vague directive for Attorney General Merrick Garland to develop a plan to move in that direction. This is coming to you from the NRA ILA, Institute for Legislative Action. And while the order's other provisions are similarly vague and insubstantial. There is no doubt what it all adds up to. Antagonism towards gun ownership is now the official policy of the U.S. government's executive branch. So far, nothing new. What will actually come from Biden's instructions to the bureaucracy in this latest order is anybody's guess. Yeah, well, that's true. Now, Biden is basically directing the alphabet soup agencies... Department of Justice, the Health and Human, Human Services, the Department of Education, Homeland Security, to comb through the misnamed Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, the BSCA, and come up with their own plans to implement it to the fullest extent possible. Now, this is the weaponization of government against you. One of the most onerous aspects of the BSCA was its lowering of the threshold when a federal dealer's license is needed to sell or transfer firearms. Previously, an individual, like you and I, only needed a FFL to engage in a course of trade or business involving repetitive buying and reselling of firearms with the principal objective of livelihood and profit. So if this was your business and you were trying to make money from it, then you would need an FFL. And that's what we've had for, this has standard for a while. I think you should be able to buy and sell what you want, but that was not the understood law and that was not the settled law. The BSCA removed that livelihood element so that the profit-seeking alone would fulfill the required objective of the sales. In other words, if you built a firearm or you bought a firearm at a good price and you sold it, you're like, hey man, this I you know I can buy this for two hundred and I can sell it for three hundred, that's a profit motive. Right? And now you may be required to have an FFL. The change brought an FFL requirement, but it's far from clear what that means in practical sense. Fortunately, a course of repetitive buying and reselling of the firearms is still necessary. But no one seems to know where the lines are drawn. So, is it two firearms? Like, say you got a deal on two firearms that you said, hey, I can make, I can make money on this, or is it one? Is it ten? Is it a hundred? Thus, what Gar Garland's background check plan will look like and how it will be implemented remains a mystery. Most 
of the other directives in the order boil down to general principle that the federal agencies should use whatever authorities they have to make life more difficult for gun owners or the businesses that serve them. Let me repeat that. Most of the other directives in the order boil down to a general principle that federal agencies should use whatever authorities they have to make life more difficult for gun owners or the businesses that serve them. Biden's introductory statement that we will no longer allow interest of gun manufacturers to win out over the safety of our children and the nation demonstrates that he blames the lawful industry, not the lawless predatory criminals being let go, and the ones that are pulling triggers for the firearms-related violence and deaths. In summary... Biden's late, uh, latest executive order is not much of a roadmap, roadmap as a declaration. Gun ownership and firearm-related businesses are bad, and the whole government approach must be used to suppress them and you. Stay tuned to their page for details on what looks like a federal department's mobilized against the Second Amendment in the months ahead. Watch your NRA voter guides for information on which candidates... Da, 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 da. Look, people, they are coming after you on every front, and it is so hard to stay abreast of all of these topics. I would like for you guys to click on my newsletter link below, and, you know, we mail out um, stories on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday normally, and a Saturday and Sunday for the this new podcast. The news podcast. The alternative news. News that you're not going to hear on the mainstream media, or at least not in the same way you're being presented. We are in the battle of our lives and our children's and our grandchildren. If we don't stand up now, and we don't come together, and we don't have a leader to lead us in this charge... We will be 100% completely enslaved and living on this one world government plantation. If you don't want to be a slave, we are going to have to stand up. You, me, everyone. Now, I don't know. Are you going to Trump's rallies? I'm not... On this podcast and on our website and on our Facebook page, our social media, we do not endorse candidates. But I will say what's happening to Donald Trump appears to me to be a travesty of justice and an unequal application of the law. Political motivations and weaponization out of our justice system. People, we have gone so far past the Banana Republic stage. We are cruising dead ahead to a complete collapse and a rebuilding of an authoritarian governmental organization that is worldwide. We have a wild ride ahead, folks, and we are on the road to dystopia all right well we'll talk to you next week and um until next time prepare be safe tell everyone in your family you love them and contact someone you haven't spoken to in a while and leave politics out of it for a minute god bless